Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you would turn to Psalm 110, we're going to start there. And as usual, we're going to start in Psalm 110, and there are many different scriptures that we're going to turn to, but you are welcome to, to stay parked in Psalm 110 if you want and write down the scriptures. You're welcome to stay in Psalm 110 and listen to me read them, or you're welcome to flip around if you'd like to, uh, but we're going to, we're going to be cruising fast uh, as we flip, so you do um, whatever you feel the most comfortable doing. Uh, the Psalms are incredibly... Uh, difficult for me sometimes. Uh, this psalm, I think you're going to find, is absolutely magnificent. But I, as a as a male human being, struggle with poetry. Uh, poetry is something that you have to you have to live in a lot of times. You have to you kind of have to move with it and, and do whatever these these poets do as they write. The saving grace for me is that. David was a man's man and David was an absolute warrior. And so if he could do poetry, we can too. Amen. He has, uh, he has killed way more people than all of us have put together. Uh, his band of mighty men were incredible and David saw fit to write poetry as he was led by the Lord. And so, uh, we'll see fit as a people to study it. Now, one of my favorite things about the Psalm that, uh, that Caroline read was that the psalmist said, my hope is in the Lord. Just like the watchman watches for the morning. Now, that's not something, that's not language that we use all the time. But many of you guys have probably, I imagine when all these mills were running 24-7, and many of you probably worked a graveyard shift, you thought, boy, I can't wait till 7 o'clock in the morning rolls around and I can get off. That uh, 11 to 7 shift is brutal if you've ever worked it. And so much like a watchman would be standing guard all night, he said his hope is in the Lord, just like the watchman's hope is in the morning so that he can go home and be done. If you've ever had to guard something all night, it is a daunting task. Uh, and so your hope is in that it hurries up and the dawn gets here so you can be done. And so our hope should also be in the Lord in this Christmas season. One of the things I want to do before we jump into Psalm 110 is I wanted to let you know that we had a tough run as a church through the latter part of Ephesians. It was tough on all of us. And so this Christmas season, I've picked out a bunch of different scriptures to go to that uh, that magnified different aspects of Christ. And so you're going to find a lot of Awesome things about our Savior in this passage. Uh, and so I want each week leading up to Christmas for us to celebrate a different aspect of Christ so that when Christmas gets here, we have a, a, a good, well-rounded view of the Christ child and we can, uh, we can grow our families and we can just worship together learning more about Christ. So let me go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for all of the other books that you wrote. Lord, I pray that as we move forward and we, we begin to get into this Psalm 110, Lord, I pray that we could drop down into the world in which it was written. Lord, I pray that we can understand why the psalm writer said what he did when he said it. And Lord, I pray that Christ would become even greater in our minds. Lord, I pray that we would never grow weary of studying about our Savior. And Lord, I pray that our Savior would grow ever more powerful in our eyes. And so, God, help us to have a great view of our Messiah. And Lord, I pray that as we go throughout the rest of this service, that you would uh, use me in a great way to feed your people. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Psalm 110. There's a couple different psalms. Now, a lot of you read psalms probably as you read through your Bible, but you may not know a whole lot about the psalms. But the psalms are structured in an incredible way. Uh, you could take a whole college class on just the psalms and the structure of the psalms, and it's really neat to see the way that the writer organizes everything. But in a nutshell, I want to tell you that there's about five different psalms out there. This psalm happens to be a messianic psalm. There's some psalms that, that are all about worship. There are, uh, there are psalms that are all about lamenting or weeping. This song is looking forward to the coming Messiah. And so if you were a Jewish person and you lived prior to Christ, when you read this psalm, it would scream Messiah. This is what you would be looking for when the Messiah comes. Now, I'm going to tell you a quick short story about one of my least favorite Christmases. It was shortly after I became a dad. Elijah was about three years old. And Elijah, you guys don't know him, but he's very analytical. He always thinks about things. And usually when he says something, it's pretty well thought out. And he asks really good questions. And so I was amazed as a young father how much that you could teach kids. And so he's three and it's Christmas. And so he's about three and a half. And we've been teaching him all about Jesus, all about Jesus. And so the kid knows about Jesus. And he knows that Jesus has walked on water. He knows all of these other stories about Christ. And then it's Christmas. And our church that we were going to, it decided to set up a manger scene. And so Elijah comes up after the church service was over. We walk by, we shake the preacher's hand. And then there's a little goofy baby doll in a manger. And he walks up to the baby doll and he picks it up and he says, hey, daddy, what's this? And I was like, oh, no. If I tell my son that that's baby Jesus, he's going to think that we worship a baby doll. And he's going to think this baby doll is the culmination of all of the things that we've been teaching him about. And I was like, don't worry about it. Let's go home. And so I was so worried that he was going to think that, that we worshiped a baby doll. I didn't even tell him about baby Jesus in the manger that year at that particular time because I was afraid that he was going to think that that actual baby doll was the Jesus that we worship. You following me? And so here we have these people are looking forward to an incredible Messiah and the Messiah that I had told my son about. He was an incredible Messiah and he was nothing like the little baby doll. OK, and you're going to find that the Messiah that David is is going to tell you about is absolutely astonishing. And so the psalm starts like this. I'll read the whole thing and then we'll go back and we'll pick it apart. Psalm 110, verse one. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will freely will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So if you're like me, the first reading through doesn't have a whole lot to say. But if you will take this next few minutes as we talk about it, and if you'll stew on this the rest of the day, I think you'll find this psalm incredibly insightful. And so the big question on the table in chapter chapter 110, verse 1, is that who are these lords that are talking? It says, the Lord says to my Lord. 
Now, there's two lords there. I'm going to teach you a, a Bible reading principle, and you may have never known this before. It's incredibly simple, and if you were to open up to the first few pages of your Bible, you would understand it. But the Jewish people didn't like to write out the name of God. So they would write Yahweh, and they, would, they didn't have any vowels. And so what happens here is that you see the first Lord in, in verse 1? It's all capital letters, Right? Right. This is a good time for you to look at your Bible, all capital letters. Whenever in the scriptures you see Lord in all capital letters, it's Yahweh. It's God's name, Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant keeping God of the Old Testament. Yahweh is going to be whenever the people think back to the covenant that God made with Abraham or Moses or David, they're going to call God Yahweh. And so he's the, the keeper of the Old Testament covenant. And so the, the original reading is actually Yahweh, but it's translated Lord so that you can distinguish between the two. Now you go down to the latter part of that sentence and it says, the Lord says to my Lord. Now that Lord doesn't have all capital letters. You see, it just starts with the capital L. That is the word Lord, like Jesus is our Savior and Lord. He's the master that we serve. That's what Lord means. When Sarah calls Abraham Lord, she's calling Abraham the master that she serves. You following me? And so you've got one of these lords is Yahweh, and one of these lords is a master that somebody serves. And so the question is, is that we know who Yahweh is, but who's the second lord? If you turn over to Matthew 22, that's the same question that Jesus asked the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 22, verse 41 says, this is just after Jesus has stumped the Sadducees and the Pharisees have begun to ask him questions. This is right after one of the scariest sentences in scripture where the Sadducees come to Jesus and they ask him a question and Jesus answers and he says, you're mistaken. You don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. So that's a verse that's always scared me to death because whenever I ask Jesus for something, I pray that that's never his answer. But anyways, Matthew 22 verse 41 says, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Then Jesus said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Do you follow me when I say this? The people are trying to figure out who Jesus is. The people are and Jesus asked the people, who do you think the Messiah is going to be? And they say, the son of David. And Jesus says, well, how can David's, how can the Christ be the son of David and David call him Lord? You following me? The only way for that to happen is if somebody was born and king before David and David calls him Lord. You following me? And so this Lord, this Yahweh said to my Lord is actually God the Father says to God the Son. And so David, when he has this, when he, when he's inspired to write this psalm, it says David is off to the corner and he's witnessing a conversation between God the Father, Yahweh, and God the Son, Jesus Christ. You with me? Give me a little head nod. And so he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, they're going to go on to say, you're going to have to stick with me here. In Acts chapter 5, you don't have to turn there. You're welcome just to listen. Peter stands up and gives an incredible sermon. Before Peter stands up and gives this sermon, he addresses the people at Pentecost. Now, at Pentecost... 
Peter says that, uh, that David, the son of David, ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he also says that David wasn't as good as Christ because David never ascended to the Father. That's a whole nother sermon. Then, if you go on to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells you that none of the angels sit at the right hand of God the Father. And so the question is, is that who is this that sits at the right hand of God the Father? And the answer is Jesus. But we're going to get here by way of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 27 says, When they had brought them, this is the apostles, they brought Peter and the apostles because they were preaching about Christ. It says, They stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And so we've made the case that Jesus Christ is the one who's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Right? So the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The right hand of, of someone in power is a place of honor. It's a place of prestige. If you were a, a rich uh, famous person in this day and age and you called someone over to your house and you gave them the right seat if you gave them the seat of honor uh, at the table you would be setting them apart out of everyone else at the table and so jesus excuse me yahweh says to jesus sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet now interestingly enough within this passage you find that it is God is the one who is going to make Jesus' enemies a footstool for his feet. You're also going to find that, we're going to get there later, but he, very rarely do you ever find a priest sitting. And Jesus is going to be the priest who's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, but we're going to get to it in a minute. Then it says in verse 2, he says, the Lord, that's Yahweh, see it's all capital letters, the Lord, Yahweh, will stretch, stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. And so one day, God is going to, Yahweh is going to say to the Messiah, stretch out your hand and rule in the midst of your enemies. And so one day, Jesus Christ is going to rule in Zion in the midst of all of his enemies. And so you see that, that it is Yahweh who is urging Jesus to rule. You see it? It says the Lord will stretch. Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter. And so it's Christ who has the scepter and it's God who's going to stretch his hand out and encourage him to rule. And he tells him to rule in the midst of your enemies. Verse three, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. And so Yahweh tells Jesus. I want you to stretch out your hand and I want you to rule. And your people, when you begin to rule, are going to freely volunteer. When we have any sort of war, we don't always get volunteers freely. We have to have what? A draft. And we just, we mandatorily make people come and serve. 
But Yahweh says that when Jesus comes and when Jesus comes into his power, people are going to freely volunteer in the day of God's power. And the way that this is written, this freely volunteer, it doesn't just mean that they're going to just show up and they're going to volunteer. It's the very same language that they use in Hebrews when you're told to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so the idea here is that when Jesus comes to rule, that he is going to have people volunteering who are living sacrifices themselves. Following me? Little head nod. You guys are worn out from Black Friday. Then he says, in verse 4, he says, The Lord, that's Yahweh, capital, capital L-O-R-D. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. The only thing stronger than verse 1, when it says, The Lord says to my Lord, the only thing stronger than a, a divine oracle or a word from the Lord is when the Lord takes a divine oath. And here you have in verse four, the Lord has sworn he takes a divine oath and will not change his mind. You, that's the Messiah. That's the lowercase Lord. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, what in the world does that mean? Yahweh has set apart Jesus, the Messiah, to be a priest forever. Now, what does that mean? Let's go over to the book of Hebrews. Don't hear any pages turning, but that's okay. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Now, you're going to have to understand something about this character, Melchizedek. If you've been reading along through Genesis, you get about to Genesis chapter 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there, this Melchizedek is going to show up. Now, what happens is that Abraham goes in and he he just demolishes a city. He takes over the city and he has all of these war spoils with him. And Abraham has his whole army, he's got all of his people, he's got all of his stuff, and he's marching through the land, and he comes up upon this guy named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is called the king of Salem, or the, which also can be shortened to the, the, king of right, the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. And so you have this, this strange character shows up in the middle of nowhere. You're not told anything about him. He doesn't have any sort of lineage. You don't know where he came from. You don't know where he's going. But you have a guy named Abraham who is sup- the supreme person of our faith. He's our supreme elder, so to speak, at this time. And what does Abraham do to Melchizedek? He gives him a tithe. Now, who do you give a tithe to? Only someone greater than yourself. You don't tithe to someone lesser than yourself. And then what does Melchizedek do? Melchizedek offers a blessing in return. You can only offer a blessing to someone who is lesser than you of this magnitude. And so here you have Abraham gives a tithe and receives a blessing from this guy named Melchizedek. He looks a lot like a Christ head figure. We read in the book of Hebrews. I turned to the wrong section in Hebrews. Let me go back real quick. I told you the wrong spot. Five, five. Thank you. Is that the one I wanted? Let me see. I wrote, I wrote too small. Yeah, I tell you, it's got me. That's three Sundays in a row I've missed something. Forgive me. Hebrews chapter seven is where I wanted to go. Sorry about that. Hebrews chapter seven says this, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils. 
was first of all, by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. And so you have this guy named Melchizedek, and he is both a king and a priest, two offices which don't mix once you have Moses coming along. And so you're going to find that Jesus is going to be very much like this Melchizedek figure. And so you have Melchizedek, and Abraham gives him an, an, a tithe, which is a tenth. And then he says in verse 3, this is about Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. So back in Psalm 110, he's in verse 4. He said, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, the Messiah, are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so this means that Christ is going to be a priest just like Melchizedek. And he is going to serve perpetually. He's going to serve forever without end. And this, this Messiah, so Yahweh says to the Lord, You're going to be a king and you're going to rule in verses one through three. You're going to stretch out your hand from Zion and you're going to rule amongst your enemies. Then he says in verse four, but you're also going to be a priest perpetually. You're always going to be a priest and I won't take the priesthood from you. And you're going to be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And so Christ is also going to have a sense of mystery about him and he's going to reign as both priest and king. Now, listen to the next part. It, It keeps getting better and better. Verse five says, the Lord is at your right hand. So now he's talking to the Messiah and he's no, excuse me. He's talking now. Yahweh is being addressed here. The Lord is at your right hand. So the, the master I serve is at the right hand of Yahweh. You following me? I know this is getting confusing and I'm, I'm making it maybe a little more wordy than it needs to be. The Lord is at your right hand. Now that's the Christ. The Messiah is at your right hand and listen to what he'll do. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. And so one day when our Savior takes over as king and when he takes over as the great high priest, it says that he is at the right hand of God the Father and he will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. A lot of times we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate Jesus and we celebrate this little weak Baby in a manger. And Christmas is the time to celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? But Jesus isn't just a little weak baby in a manger. Jesus is going to take over and he's going to rule amongst his enemies. And you don't just get to rule amongst your enemies. You have to fight and you have to take over before you can rule your enemies. And it says that he in his day will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. Do you know what it's going to be like when all of the armies of the world gather together for the battle of Armageddon and Jesus stands on one side and all of the kings of the earth are going to stand on the other side and Jesus isn't even going to fight with them. He's merely going to speak and all of those armies are going to be decimated. That is the Lord. That is the Jesus we celebrate. That's the little baby that Mary is holding in her arms. And so she may have been holding the baby in her arms and thought, wow, this Messiah is the same one that sits at the Lord's right hand and one day he'll shatter kings in the day of his wrath. She could have thought that when she held that baby in a manger. She could have thought that when the, when the innkeeper said, hey, we don't have any rooms for you. She could have said, don't you realize 
that I'm carrying the one who's going to shatter kings in the day of his wrath. Then it says that he, that's the Messiah, will judge among the nations. You have, you don't just get to judge anybody that you want to. You have to be appointed as a judge. And so this baby, this Messiah that we're celebrating at Christmas is going to be a king. God, Yahweh himself, is going to put a scepter in his hand. He's going to also make him a priest amongst all the people. And he's going to rule and he's going to be the priest. And then he's also going to shatter kings. And so he's going to be a warrior as well. And then after he's done slaying people, he's going to judge among the nations. And so he gets to be the one who judges righteously. There's all sorts of scriptures in the Old Testament about the righteous judge. Jesus is the righteous judge. All of that is encompassed in this psalm. And so then he'll judge among the nations. This is the middle part of verse 6. And it says he will fill them with corpses. But we don't like to think about that at Christmas. Merry Christmas. The Savior is going to shatter kings and he's going to fill the nations with corpses. But on the end, at the end of time, when the Messiah comes, not the first time, but the second time, at his word, a sword, his words will come from his mouth and he will slay kings and he will slay all of his enemies. And then it says that those, he says that for the first, oh, I'm, I'm mistaken now, but in Revelation it talks about like the first seven years of the millennium, they're going to spend burying people that Jesus comes and slays. And so when you go out and you start celebrating the birth of Jesus, don't just celebrate a weak baby, but celebrate a powerful king, a powerful priest and a powerful judge who's going to not just judge people, but he's going to uh, he's not just going to going to save people as a little baby, but then he's going to judge the earth at the end of times. And so he's much, much more than we give him credit for many times. Then it says that he will shatter the chief men over a broad country. And so he won't. Just fill the land with corpses and he won't just shatter kings, but he'll take the chief men and he'll scatter them over a broad country as well. And so it's not just that Jesus is going to take over and it's not just that Jesus is going to utterly destroy people, but they're going to be scattered everywhere. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that when Jesus comes on the scene the next time in the great day of the Lord, it says that mighty men are going to be walking through valleys and the Lord is going to come on the scene. And they are going to beg for the mountains to fall on them so they don't have to face the Lord. I have a friend we had Thanksgiving with. Her son just went through boot camp and her son just graduated from ranger school uh, in, in Georgia. And so her son is now an army ranger and he's getting stationed um, somewhere out in Washington. And so, like all good moms do, she brings her son close. He gets to come home before he goes out to Washington. And so she brings him close and she says, listen, son, when you're driving across the country, I just want you to be really careful and I want you to avoid dark areas and I want you to just be really safe. And I thought, man, she doesn't get it. Her son is bona fide hardcore and he's the type of guy that parks in dark places in hopes that somebody does mess with him. That's the kind of guy that he is. That's just who he is now. You know, he's an, he's an army ranger and the, this is toward a guy who, who walks around carrying a knife or a gun and goes in risky places hoping that somebody picks trouble with him. That's just who he is now. And I hope that she never listens to this, but that's who he is. We serve a Christ, but sometimes we as a church, we haven't let him grow up from being a baby. We, we ooh and ah over him and we kiss him on the cheek and we want to hold him and we want to pet him and then we want to give him back to his parents to put him to sleep. But the reality is, is that the Christ that we serve, the baby that's going to be born is a king who's going to rule with a scepter. 
And then he's also appointed by God as a great high priest. And then he shatters kings in the day of his wrath. And so the baby, the child grows up and he defeats kings and kingdoms. So much so that in the same way that this, this army ranger hopes that he runs across some one person, you have a group of people who in the book of Isaiah are petrified of Christ coming on the scene. They would rather mountains fall on them than have to deal with the Messiah. You following me? That's how intimidating our Christ child is. And then it says this, verse 7. He will drink from the brook by the wayside, therefore he will lift up his head. And this verse really threw me for a loop for a long time. And then I had a guy explain it to me, a guy who's an incredible Hebrew scholar. He said, in all of this chapter, you have Yahweh saying to the Lord all of these magnificent things. You have him ruling as king. You have him serving as high priest. He's shattering kings. There's, there's dead bodies everywhere. And then what happens at the end of it? You don't just have this divine warrior going, doing things as God. You have a human aspect to the Messiah who, just like Gideon at the end of his battles, he he kneels down by the brook and he takes a handful of water and he splashes his face and he drinks out of his hands. And so you have this divine warrior in Psalm 110 who they're looking forward to being the Messiah. And at the very end of this messianic psalm, you have a human aspect to the Messiah. So much so that when he's done doing all of those things... He bends down and he gets a drink of water from the brook. And just like any tired warrior would do, he it says that he'll drink from the book by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And so just like anybody that would would finish up any sort of battle, they finish up, they get a drink and then they they're refreshed because of the water. And so you don't just have a savior who is God. You have a savior who was a God man who lived among us and can relate to us so much so that at the end of all of this, he stops at the brook and takes a drink. Therefore, he lift up his head and he's refreshed by drinking water. And so as you go into the rest of the Christmas season, I want you to give more and more thought to don't just keep Jesus in a manger, but let him be everything that he's supposed to be and then serve him accordingly. We should have a, a great sense of fear for this baby. We should have a great sense of awe over this baby. There's all sorts of things about Christ. And I want you to think about them all during the Christmas season, not just his birth. You with me? Now, before I finish, right before I close, are there any little ones? Y'all, y'all's kids still here? They're still there? Um, they sleep? Charge money if I put them to sleep. Um, I want to give you, I want you just to think about something as we go on. You may do this. There's, there's somebody, and I'll be vague. There's somebody that we celebrate at Christmas time a lot. You know who that is? Not, not this guy, but there's another guy that we often celebrate at Christmas time. We take our kids to see him and things like that. They're uh, I was going to do my best to be delicate, but thank you. And we, we tell our, our kids things about this person. And some of the things that we tell our kids are that he knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad. He knows if you've been good. If you're good, what do you get? You get presents. You get rewards. If you're bad, what do you get? You get coal. And so there's judgment for being bad. There's, there's rewards for being good. This, this figure that we celebrate, he is all-knowing. Because he's not around, but he knows if you've been good and he knows if you've been bad. 
knows when you're sleeping, knows when you're awake, and he gives rewards to those who are good, and he gives punishment to those who are bad. Oftentimes, we unknowingly elevate him to a place of God instead of allowing this Jesus to be God. A lot of times in the Christmas season, we push be good and do the right thing because he, the big guy in red, knows what you're doing. We ought to be celebrating this guy at Christmas. And we ought to be telling our kids that we should be doing good because this guy is all-knowing and all-seeing. You following me? Sometimes we, we have a role reversal in our, in our country and we, we, we give the, the big guy who brings gifts on the 25th all of the attributes of God because he's comfortable. But the reality is that the baby in the manger has all the attributes of God. And one day he will judge us. And one day he will stand above us. And he will be the one who who slays his enemies on the last day. And so we need to make sure that we give the baby all of the the benefits and all of the the uptalk and not just the other guy. Am I saying the other guy's wrong? No, we can have fun. But I do want you to think in the back of your mind that you don't elevate him to a place where he shouldn't be elevated. Giving him all of the attributes of God. With me? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you now and we worship. We worship David's Lord. Lord, we thank you that that Jesus Christ was Lord before David was even born. And he'll be Lord long after David is gone. Lord, we thank you that this Lord that we serve is both king and priest. We thank you that he's the judge. And Lord, we thank you that this king that we serve is not just an obscure God figure, but he became a man and he refreshes himself by the brook after a day of battle, just like we do. And so, Lord, thank you for uh, the psalm that you gave us to elevate the Christ. Lord, I pray that that we would all grow closer to him throughout this Christmas season. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll stand for a hymn of invitation. Number 147.
thank you guys for coming. Brother Bob's going to give me your, uh, what you voted for with the budget. We've got uh, the yeses have it. And um, the, the 40 yes, 10 no. If you ever have any questions about uh, anything that the, uh, that the deacons do, uh, I have been utterly impressed with the deacons that we have at this church. And they would be more than willing to, uh, to talk with you and explain any of the things that they do. And so if you're ever in question about anything that comes up uh, that you're asked to vote on, I would ask that you, uh, you go and speak with them. Uh, we'd love to have uh, the church in, in total unity all the time. I know when we're dealing with people, it's not always going to happen. They say that when you get five Baptists together, you'll never be able to decide which side the sun comes up on. And I understand that that to be the case sometimes. But I do want you to know that uh, one of the things that our church does, if you're new here, is that uh, we vote on everything by ballot. And we also put it in your hands two weeks before we vote on it. And so you've got two weeks to, uh, to talk to anybody about anything that you want to talk to. Just so that there's uh, openness and transparency. We want to make sure that all of you guys know that uh, we're striving for that uh, in our church. And so just know that uh, they're posted and you can talk to any of them that you want to. Thank you guys for coming. It was uh, a great Lord's Day. Enjoyed a good breakfast. If you missed it next year, I encourage you to come. The men cook breakfast uh, this morning for everybody. And uh, this week, we've got a lot of neat uh, ministry opportunities going on. Or this month, we do. Make sure you're, you're keeping an eye on the bulletin and make sure you're seeing the right people for help because we definitely need your help to pull off all these big things. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Brother Bob, if you'll close us.